Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, February 23rd edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to talk about golf. Two events here this week, WGC Workday Championship and the Puerto Rico Open. Got some NHL coming your way on today's show, and we'll also talk NASCAR, where the men behind the wheel are at Homestead Miami Speedway, third straight race here in Florida. We'll break that one down on the one-and-a-half-mile track. Over at ATS.io, we are now less than 48 hours away from the posting of my 2021 MLB betting guide, finishing up some of the first drafts of the player futures stuff. Now it's time to go through and edit. And just sort of look through everything, cross all the uh, across all the T's, dot all the I's, make sure the grammar is correct and all of that, put together the PDF. And like I said, I will try to do some different ways of presenting that guide. Not sure I'm going to have time to do what I wanted to with the flipbook right away, but maybe that is something that I'm going to take a look at here uh, as far as the 2021 guide. Also over there at the website, picks, predictions, all kinds of good stuff from our talented cast of writers. And make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration with that. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. Tons of quality stuff there in that ATS app. So make sure you download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. What's shaking, man? You know, same old, same old, man. Working on that baseball betting guide, trying to keep an eye on college basketball with conference tournaments beginning here this week. Uh, two golf events, NHL. Busy time of year. It just never stops. Well, the good news is I'm down one layer of clothes uh, on the patio this morning. It's going to be 76 this afternoon. Mornings are still chilly, but we're getting there. Thinking about three weeks away from 70s all the time, and a month away from 80s so yeah, not, I got, not here excited uh i think today is the first day we've been over 40 in about a month so uh you know still waiting for that warm-up here and now everything's just a mud pit because we've had you know snow that hasn't melted so now it's gonna melt won't dry out any of the golf courses until probably early april so you know i guess it is what it is around here something that you're of course used to uh for being oh, yeah. in the buffalo area for a long period oh, yeah. of time no, you love the, the one big snowstorm, and it's cool, and then you get the snow banks, and you're right, though. But then those big snow banks, that they last for seven weeks, and then they get all muddy and skanked up. Yep. Well, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, I guess let's go ahead and talk about the NHL. Speaking of melting, uh, the outdoor games, not really as smooth of a process as the NHL was hoping for over the weekend. Well, if you listen to this endeavor last week, <laughs> we talked about it. I mean, all week long on every platform I was on last week, looked at the forecast, 40 degrees Saturday, mix of sun and clouds. Sunday, a bright yellow globe on the forecast for Lake Tahoe. And we sat there at the beginning of the week and said under in the Vegas game, over in the Boston game, because sun was the issue that the goalies and the glare would be a real problem for sure on Sunday. And the one caveat for the Golden Knights was Flurry and Grubauer were one, two in the league in save percentage. Knock on wood, it happened. That it worked out that way. They both hit. But the point is that if last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're talking about the sun going to be this major issue in terms of the way the game's going to be played. 
And the NHL's there, but they have, this was before they even put a board up. How could they not even consider that the sun was going to be an issue? And they had to be more flexible with the start times. If you play it at dusk and then go into the night, but all they cared about was the postcard picture at Lake Tahoe. And they are just really lucky that Nathan McKinnon didn't catch a rut in the ice and blow his knee out. Um, you know, it was just, it's a good idea that went awry. And they're lucky that nobody got hurt, but I, I don't understand how. And then on top of it, it was like the gift from the gods. The reaction to Saturday's game was to move the Bruins game back to, first it was 4 p.m. local. They moved it to 4.30. And you're watching it right out of the gate going, hey, it's not fair. You got hard at the one end of the rink, and he's looking into the sun. And the game was 2-1 in the blink of an eye. Would they, they end up scoring 10 goals? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, if we if we can talk about this stuff and realize that that's going to be a big issue, how could they have this thing implode on them right in front of everybody on national TV? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to think that's going to be a thing. And, you know, especially with kind of the angle of the sun in the wintertime, you know, it was it was going to be an issue. And and like you said, I mean, it was, the backdrop was absolutely gorgeous. But, you know, again, one of the things that you, know, you kind of look at it with regards to these outdoor games is in a lot of instances, they've been played under gray, cloudy skies, some snow kind of blowing around this and that. They really haven't had to contend with, you know, the sun just kind of baking down on the ice rink. But But Adam, if you remember, the thing that sent the Winter Classic on its merry way, the very first one, 80,000 people at Rich Stadium, what was it, 2008, I think? Pittsburgh at at Buffalo in Rich Stadium, 80,000 people, big, fat snowflakes. It's this most, it's a beautiful thing. And then the league star, Sidney Crosby, scores the shootout winner. It was great. What no one remembers is that game took four hours to play because they must have stopped 15 times to fix the ice. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, it's it's a great idea. And, and certainly from an NHL standpoint, it, it makes sense, you know, to try and get these big ratings if you can get them and all of that. The problem is the novelty is kind of worn off. I mean, yeah, it was a beautiful setting. And the players, you know, were very happy about, you know, it kind of felt like pond hockey being in that kind of atmosphere and all that. But then you actually get on the ice, and they're talking about right after practice, the ice is bad. The ice is slow. The ice is this. The ice is that. And the NHL really wound up being put in a very difficult situation, particularly with that first game, starting it, the long delay, be, you know, finishing it in the dark of night, all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, Not a good look for them. And you, know, you, you sort of wonder here how these teams kind of react to having played in that situation. Of course, Vegas and Colorado, you know, they played already. They wound up playing last night. Vegas won that game three, nothing, but for Philadelphia and Boston, now going back home, going back East, you know, they make that long trip out there for that one showcase game when they haven't left the East coast all season long because of the way that the divisions worked out. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely fade Philly against the Rangers tomorrow. Um, the Vegas and gold in the gold Vegas and Colorado, as you mentioned, played Vegas stepped on Colorado's neck. It was the end of a four-game set, and they went two and two. Uh, that was a big win for Vegas. And Flurry's playing at a ridiculous level. But the teams that would go away from all the hype 
and playing outdoors now going against teams that have been playing right along indoors i think a big advantage big advantage to the uh, rangers in that next game I, because i think both vegas and colorado the first period was nothing nothing they were they were trying to figure out what's going on and then vegas scored 3 in the second period and they they sort of sorted it out and it turned into a hockey game but that first period was really kind of a weird thing for them after coming from uh, the outdoors to the indoors and let me i'm scurrying here looking for the bruins long break uh boy did they, they play get, thursday right they don't play till thursday at the island but i you know i'd probably maybe take a peek at the islanders in that one but i do like the rangers plus philly's philly's really undermanned with the covid thing yeah, the Rangers, looks like there are some places that do have overnights up already for the Wednesday card, and, and it does look like the Rangers uh, will be a dog in that game in the plus 105, plus 110 range. So well, don't forget, Panarin's not playing for them. That, right. And, you know, bas- basically they're telling you it's a pick em if they're even giving you 20 cents for home ice advantage. I mean, all, the, all that matters now is travel. Although it looks like we're getting close to getting fans uh, announced last night here, thankfully things have really, really started to trend the right way. Uh, about, geez, four or five weeks ago, you were getting six hundred, six, seven hundred cases a day in Vegas. And two days ago, there were only 30 new cases. And they put a proposal together, and I guess it's starting in March, 15%. So there's going to be 2,600 people at Vegas games. <laughs> that That's going to be... The, the interesting thing, I've got the their team president, Kerry Bubal, is going to come on Vegas Hockey Hotline tomorrow. How do you do that? You, how, how do you say, yeah, you're the you're one of the twenty six hundred. I mean, these people are going to be throwing elbows at each other to be who the one. How are you going to let decide who gets in? Yeah, I mean, obviously, season ticket holders get priority, and, and maybe the the season ticket yeah, holders it's, it's spend all, the most it's money. All season ticket holders, they get thirteen thousand. Uh, yeah, that's a good I point. Mean, what are you going to do? I mean, I I wonder. I I can't wait to hear his answer because it's a hard hard thing to figure out. I would imagine there'd be some sort of some sort of rotation. You know, if you get you get one this this game, you're out of the loop for the next four or five. I be the only way. But then the, then the problem you've got is. Well, you know, nobody's going to be sitting all in their seats. You're going to spread them out all around the arena. You know, you got some people, their tickets three fifty a game and somebody else's tickets 80 bucks a game. You know, you know, they, they want more money, but the people that's paying 300, they're not sitting in the $300 seat. They're sitting in the upper deck. No, that's a good question. I guess dog's breakfast. kind of wait and see how it all plays out. And I know, uh, you know, the Indians and the Reds are supposed to have 30% capacity uh, potentially here for the upcoming baseball season so that's decent getting, yeah getting getting back to uh some semblance of normalcy i guess here let's take a look at the tuesday night card brian and uh you know montreal and ottawa the top game on the board here and, and i talked about this last week where in looking at some of the metrics and kind of taking a look at what's gone on with the the montreal canadians to this point they did look like they were overachieving a little bit uh carry price kind of playing out of his mind especially on high quality scoring chances the Canadians have hit a, a little bit of a rough patch here, and we are seeing some money come in on Ottawa for tonight's game, where Montreal has come down about 10 or 15 cents or so. But I thought that was an interesting line movement and the only line of the night that's you know got a pretty pretty sizable favorite. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're jumping in on this one, I would say Montreal on the puck line. Listen, when you go through this, you know, water finds its level, okay? 
the one thing, and I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of them, and go do your homework and look them up. But trust me when I tell you, these things have been working. New series, over in the first game of a new series, under in the second game, team that loses the first game, start it's a starting point with the revenge factor. No one can afford the big losing streaks. But Ottawa beat Montreal 3-2. Oh, okay, good for them. Well, they beat Montreal 3-2 because they were thoroughly embarrassed. They got beat 7-3 by the Leafs. That's their hockey players. When you get embarrassed like that, you know you're getting called out and you're playing for your job. So the Senators played Montreal in the first game after morbidly getting embarrassed by the Leafs and won the game 3-2. Now, Montreal sitting there feeling, even though they only lost 3-2 to Ottawa, they're feeling like they got morbidly embarrassed. Now, you know, I'm not in the business of saying, oh, yeah, jump all over this big favorite in the NHL, but there's certainly the one thing you've got that's sitting there is the puck line. So I would look for my – and I, don't get me wrong. I think Ottawa's going to be really good down the road with these young guys. And they're going to play spoiler, and they're going to have their good nights. But I so much of what's going on in the NHL, Adam, it's situational stuff. Teams are getting off to a good start on a road trip. They, they, they want to get a, a trip off to a good start. The one thing we've talked about on this podcast, and it's happening left and right, a four-game road trip or longer, that last game on the road, fade that team. They have mentally checked out. They are already on the bus heading to the airport. They want to get the hell home. There's just so many things that are just, yep, that checks a box, play that. play, And it's happening all around the league. Yeah, and there were some over the weekend, too. You know, uh, Montreal and Toronto played on Saturday night, and they were in that, you know, spotlight hockey night in Canada situation, which it was still a big deal to the players. I mean, you know, as a kid growing up in Canada, that's what you watch on Saturday nights. You know, you wind up in that spot watching hockey night in Canada. Montreal beat Toronto on the road in the first game that they played. I think it was a week or two prior. Toronto gets revenge in that spot on Saturday. Also on Saturday, Carolina beats Tampa Bay 4-0. What does Tampa Bay do on Monday? Comes back and wins 4-2. You know, because like you said, you don't want to get swept in those back-to-back situations. You make adjustments. Right. And, and there's also that, too. You know, like Edmonton. Edmonton and Calgary. Calgary won the first game well, between the two br- teams. And then Edmonton goes and wins the next two. Well, I was just going to bring bring up Calgary. Just exactly what we just said about Ottawa. They got embarrassed. They got embarrassed. Their professional pride was called out, and then they came back and beat Montreal. Calgary, it's one thing to lose to your arch rival. But when Calgary loses 7-1, 7-1 to your arch rival, then they go to Toronto, who's been the team that's kind of cruising through this division, after being morbidly embarrassed 7-1, Calgary won 3-0 at Toronto the next game. Because they played it like a playoff game after being embarrassed. If 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 these two teams, you just plop it down the middle of the week and you're going, oh, Toronto's at home to Calgary, Toronto. But if you look at the schedule and go, oh, Calgary, you just rolled over like dogs in their last game and have been hearing it from their coach for two, 48 hours and, and they're shuffling lineups and you're in danger of getting sent to the taxi squad. <laughs> they're playing that game like it's a playoff game. But it, that was nothing more than a situational deal. And these things are happening all around the league on a nightly basis. Well, here tonight, we got Pittsburgh and Washington, and this will actually be the fifth game already of this season between the two teams. Pittsburgh's won three of them. Two were in overtime. So Washington's picked up that loser point a couple of times. So 
even though Pittsburgh's won three of the four, Washington's managed to get points in three of four themselves. But you and I were talking about this before we started recording here, Brian, that Pittsburgh is just not very good in their own zone. And it's kind of surprising you know, the fact that they have won three out of four against a pretty talented Washington team so far. And oh, by the way, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Three of the four have flown over the total. Yep. To go over go over six tonight. I mean, that's that's it's hard to play Pittsburgh under the total. Now, they've played three games in a row under, but that was but two of them were against the Islanders who are really hard pressed to put it in. And the Islanders play games where if the Islanders get a lead, they shut it down and it turns into a left wing lock. So, I mean, honestly, Pittsburgh gets away from the Islanders for two games and now they're back against Washington. It should be a track meet. That doesn't mean the goalies can't stop you and beat you, but just the flow of the game, getting away from playing a team like the Islanders, Pittsburgh and Washington with all the weaponry on the ice, and honestly, the goaltending's, you know, pretty ordinary. The Vinicek kid was really good out of the gate for the Caps, and they needed him, but he kind of flattened out a little bit. So, you know, I, it, that one makes sense to me. They hate each other. The, the total is safer than the side, if you ask me. Last one I want to ask you about with regards to tonight is Edmonton and Vancouver. You know, as we just talked about Edmonton, back-to-back wins over Calgary. Vancouver is you know, not playing particularly well. They've lost eight of 10. They cannot defend in their own zone. They've really had all kinds of issues here, in particular on the road where they've lost eight of 11. They are back at home tonight, though. And as I said, they are taking on an Edmonton team that just scored two wins against its arch nemesis. But the Oilers are playing very, very well. So is that just a stay away game for you where too many of the situations kind of cancel each other out? Or do you have a thought on that one? Well, the current form, it's it's clearly Edmonton's figured it out and Edmonton's playing better. And, by the way, uh, very, very nice. So you've been a very good Samaritan this morning. Vancouver's not playing particularly well. <laughs> They're playing horrible. <laughs> I mean, it's yikes. I mean, Holpe, oh, I don't know. Demko had a hot playoff run for them in the bubble to the point where oh yeah we don't need markstrom yeah you wish you had him now now that that vancouver thing is is not good yeah and and you sort of wonder you know when or if it kind of comes back around and you know it's it's not like they're really getting a whole lot from you know i mean they're getting something from their key players but they're getting absolutely nothing from braden holpe and and, and it looks like braden holpe has just fallen off a cliff over the last few years here after some very strong seasons for the Capitals. They're kind of doing this timeshare thing, and it's hard to have a timeshare when neither one of your goaltenders are playing very well. So, I don't know, oh, I guess by the, oh, oh, by the way, pal, I mean, how bad is it? The only reason it doesn't look worse, but it is bad. When you look at the standings and they're next to last, and you go, oh, they're only three points out of fourth place in the division to make the playoffs. No, they're not. They're they're three points behind Montreal, who has five games in hand on them. These guys have played more games. It, it, let me double check. By a healthy margin, Vancouver has played more games this year than any team in the NHL. They're done. <laughs> they have to go on a seven-game winning streak to have a chance. Well, and that's one of those things, too, where you kind of wonder about the mindset of a team. 
you know, where they're already buried early on. And, and you'd have to rattle off, you know, a four, five, six game winning streak just to kind of get yourself back sort of in the hunt. And, you know, with the COVID protocols, with all of the restrictions and all that, and of course, you know, the restrictions are even higher up in Canada for these teams. You you just sort of wonder how much do these teams completely check out where they've gotten off to a bad start and it may just snowball and and get worse. And and you just start thinking about your draft positioning or something like that. Well, I was just watching the guys talk in Buffalo this morning on the, the instigator show. And, you know, the, the Sabres thing is a mess. I mean, five on five, they can't in the ocean. They, they, they were just starting to play well, and then the COVID thing, they got uh, sent off the tracks by the Devils. But that's all an excuse. And then they're talking about, well, it's going to be hard to make trades this year. No, it's not. I mean, you've got Seattle coming in. This trade deadline, you watch. Teams are going to sit there going, oh, my God, we're going to lose three. Here are the three guys they're going to take. We know they're going to take one of these three guys. So what's the GM going to try to do with the trade deadline? He's going to try to move two guys unless he thinks he's a contender to win the thing. He's going to want to get something for two of the guys that he knows he would lose and say, here's the guy. Here, take You know, Nobody's going to do what in the NHL what happened with Vegas where McPhee made them take a pledge and they fleeced him. No, here, here's a first round pick. Would you guys please take William Carlson? You know, Minnesota. Here, take a Alex Tuck and Eric Halla, but don't take one of my defensemen. And half of them are gone now anyway. All these GMs are going to say, "Here, look. Here's my list of ten. Lose my phone number." You know, oh, teams. Are, I agree. And, and teams are going to be making deals because Seattle's coming in. Yeah, and that, that'll be here before we know it, too. I mean, we're, we're not that far away, really, from the, the NHL trade deadline and all the transactions that come with that. And, of course, we'll have to see what they do from a playoff standpoint. If they do percentage of points or, or whatever they decide to do, that'll impact what some of these teams do at the trade deadline as well. So should be a lot of fun here as we go uh, throughout the spring. I, I assume, you know, spring's kind of coming here uh, at some point, at least for us. But – Let's go to the golf side of things here, Oh, Brian. boy. You know, I'm, I mean, I, listen, I, I got to get on with my day here. I got other stuff to do. But I'm you're the one to open this kettle of fish before we started. Now you're not even going to go there? No, I'm not going to go there. We don't. <laughs> you chicken. We'll do it on another show. <laughs> you I, chicken. We don't need uh, an analytics uh, fight on today's Oh, show. my God. All right, I was I got it. I'm all ready to go. Uh, go ahead. That's funny. Right. No, we're going, we're going over the golf side of things here. I, I don't need to get you all riled up on a. Tuesday. That's hilarious. You're you're funny. All right. All right. All right. So <laughs> let's talk golf here, and, and let's go to the WGC Workday Championship, which usually, or at least the last four years, this event was in Mexico. Now it used to be at Doral, then it went down to Mexico in Mexico City, I think, uh, and then now it's in Bradenton, Florida, at the Concession Golf Club. It's a Jack Nicholas course that hosted the 2015 NCAA Men's and Women's Championships, won by Bryson DeChambeau. He's plus 1850 this week. But, Brian, I mean, this odds board, anybody who's anybody in golf is in this tournament to the point where you're getting a Brooks Kepka at 26-1, to 1, a Colin Morikawa at 4650 at DraftKings, uh, Tommy Fleetwood's 55-1, to 1. Harris English, a guy who's regularly 28 or 30-1, to 1, is almost 62 to one. What a loaded field we've got here in Florida. Yeah. I mean, anybody makes a case for a guy in this field. I mean, okay. 
you know, unless you're just being contrarian, I mean, it's, it's hard to make a case against virtually anybody in this field because they're all, <laughs> they're all that good. And that's what you get to the point where what Dustin Johnson was four to one, the one tournament now in this field. And he's amazing. He's seven to one, but he was off kilter on Sunday. He, he just, he wasn't hitting fairways. He had one ordinary day and you know, he was just kind of right there and it was not going to be part of the equation when Homa and Finau put it together on Sunday. You can make a case for anybody. I would just say this to you. This again, fits the profile of try to get yourself a price going in and then either Friday night or Saturday night, you sit there and you know, somebody on Friday you could take that's five or six back and get an overlaid price. And then on Sunday, you could take somebody at an overlaid price that maybe is three back that goes out early and posts a score. And that's, that's the way you got to bet this. I would say to you, of the guys, and they're all incredible, 20 to 1 is a juicy price on Ty Hatton. Ty Hatton has been basically on the first page of virtually every tournament he's been playing. And from a current form perspective, Ty Hatton, you got a funny feeling. I think Louis Ustazen's game, you know, you always thought of Louis at the, maybe at the Masters or at the British Open. And, and he contends. He just doesn't win that up. But Louis Ustazen's game's been really, really good, and he rolls the rock. 60-1 to 1 is a monster price on a guy like Louis Ustazen. But the guy that's coming in in really good current form is Cam Smith at 50-1. to 1. He was right there with a chance to win on Sunday. The, the kid is just an incredible putter. And ball striking. Don't forget, he finished second at the Masters last year. So... If you're sitting there you're looking at an overlaid prize, who's one of those guys? It's a guy like Cam Smith. And he was one of those guys, too. Adam, if you remember, when the President's Cup ended last year, we said, anybody, all those guys that were in that President's Cup, young guys that, that started to make a name for themselves, like, watch out. You know? And, you, and Cam Smith went out of there and, and won a tournament and then went and he was second in the Masters. You know, I like a kid like Cam Smith. So I'd say Hatton, Louie, and Cam Smith for me for starters. And then let's see how it unfolds. But it'll be an intriguing event. And Patrick Reed's the defending champ at 30. Yeah, you know, Cam Smith, I heard him talking about him on the broadcast uh, late Sunday and mentioning that, you know, we're back to Bermuda Greens here down in Florida. And and Cam Smith, an Australian guy, kind of used to playing on those Bermuda Greens. So that I don't remember who was the commentator who said something, but that was kind of brought up as a potential talking point with Smith you know, over the next few events here in Florida, sure. and possibly played, being a good look. But he was playing really good on the tough Kakuya stuff. Now he's going to his preferred surface. Well, and as I look at this tournament, I mean, first of all, some of the prices on these guys are, are kind of incredible. I mean, I don't know the last time we saw Justin Thomas, you know, basically in the 19 to one range. And I mean, I don't know, to me, I, I just sort of look at a price like that. And I, I think to myself, can I not take, like, is there a way I can't take this? Because you don't see a guy like Thomas that far down the board behind, you know, several guys. And I don't know, I mean, maybe, you know, coming off of a little bit of time to himself with his family after the passing of his grandfather, all that, you know, maybe he gets a little bit of a break, kind of gets back into form. But when you look at this course and you look at a lot of Nicholas designs, you know, this is a course where you've got small greens, 
And to me, I'm looking at iron play and I'm looking at Colin Morikawa. I mean, it, it, at plus 4650 at DraftKings, I think he's 40 to 1 at BetMGM. Morikawa at a price like that is very hard to pass on. You know, I know this is a great field for sure, and he's going to have to putt the ball well on these Bermuda greens. But in terms of guys that can stick it close to the flag and go flag hunting, even on small green complexes, I think Morikawa is definitely one of those. And then in the 70 to 1 range, look, I'm going to do it again. I don't know if he's got the chops to win a field like this. But Will Zalatoris just keeps playing well. And it doesn't matter where, and it doesn't matter who. He just keeps playing well. So 70 to 1, maybe a shot. 11 to 1 for a top 5, plus 450 for a top 10. Somebody like him on my list. And then lastly, Kevin Kisner puts really well in the Bermuda. At 100 to 1, you know, I I don't mind taking a shot with a guy like that either. Yeah, the other one I would say to you that I take a long look at, and because I've been saying this, He's going to win, and when he wins, this price is gone forever, is Scotty Scheffler at, at 40 to 1. When he wins, he's going he's gonna to be – I think Scheffler is like the next – for the next few years, he, he would be the next Xander Shoffley kind of guy. Where, but the Shoffley two, three years ago was always 40, 40 to 1. Now Shoffley's always 15, 20 to 1. Once once Scheffler wins, he's going to be 25 to 1 or lower for the next five years. So the question is, you know, can you catch him at the overlaid price before it happens? Yeah, and and Scheffler's a guy, great ball striker. And and this is a course where the fairways are pretty wide. So, you know, the green complexes are small, but the fairways are pretty wide, gives you a little bit more margin for error. Uh, So maybe you take a look at a guy like Scheffler here in this one. But we've actually got two. PGA Tour events, the WGC. Hey, hey, real quick, real quick, I'm sorry. Just for giggles, for giggles, this kid on the European Tour, I mean, how quietly he's done this. The Rasmus Hogard kid is is in here at 150 to 1. What is he? He has a couple of, at least two wins, doesn't he, on the European Tour? He's 150 to 1. The kid's 19 years old. What a story that would be. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's a guy I kind of took a little bit of a look at because if I remember correctly, uh, in those really good runs on the European tour, he also played extremely well with his irons. So, you know, again, that's a a big wagering angle here uh, for that Nicholas course, the concession. But the Puerto Rico Open, this is fascinating to me. I mean, this is a really good field for an alternate event because you've got a lot of players here coming over from the European tour that want to be close to Florida because you've got four straight events in Florida, the WGC. Uh, then you've got, I think the um, what's next, the Arnold Palmer, I think. And then usually, the players you get, usually get Bay Hill and, the, and players, then the Honda classic, the Honda classic. Yeah. So you got four straight events here in Florida. So in this Puerto Rico open, you get Thomas Peters, you get Ian Poulter, Brandon Grace, Emiliano Grio, uh, you know, Benny on, not that he plays a lot on the European tour, but he's here. Uh, Ali Schneiderjans, he's here, guy that likes to play on the European Tour quite a bit. Different course this year for this event as well, the Grand Reserve Country Club. So no course history for either PGA Tour event this week. Admittedly, I haven't done as much work on this tournament as I did on the WGC, but Brian, is there any direction you can point us in for the Puerto Rico Open? Yeah, take a couple of small little little flyers and, and have at it. Eight of the last 12 
that have won this tournament have made it their first PGA Tour win. We did we did videos on this and the WGC event uh, that'll be up at ATS.io. Yeah, the name guys: Poulter, Peters, Wallace. Oh, by the way, all your well, Grio, <laughs> Grace, Ben on. So the top six aren't American. <laughs> for starters, Andrew Putnam is the top American, twenty-five to one. Eight of the twelve last twelve winners of the Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico Open have made it their first PGA Tour win. So that kind of tells you you're not crazy to go price hunting in this one. I think Tom Lewis is the guy that's kind of coming in with some decent form at a price that's acceptable at twenty-five to one. But beyond that, maybe just go digging around. Um, do a little more homework when we get closer to this. Like Kiradek Appy Bonrad is in here. Now, I don't know what's happened to him. He's kind of fallen off the map. But there's a guy that's got game when he's on his game. And he's a he's an over he's a monster price. Uh Uline's been okay at times on the European tour at 75 to one. But the top 10 of the Corn Ferry Tour are playing in this event. They get, the top 10 of the Corn Ferry Tour get an exemption into this. And the other three alternate field events. So you want to find some guy that's consistently kicking the tires on the Corn Ferry Tour, and you're you know you're going to get a, a big price on him. It's not the craziest swing for the fences because historically somebody you ain't never heard of is going to win this thing. Yeah, you know I think maybe as I'm kind of looking through the board here, somebody like Joseph Bramlett at seventy to one is is maybe not a bad look. That's a guy that had a lot of success on the Corn Ferry Tour. Came over to the PGA Tour, I think, right after the shutdown. And actually played well in a few events before kind of falling back into obscurity a little bit. The one thing I will say about Grand Reserve Country Club, there are two courses here. I don't know if both of them are in play or not. Maybe it's just the championship course. But the championship course is 7,500 yards to par 72. So I would presume that Bombers will do really well here. And Thomas Peters, the guy that hits it a long way as one of the co-favorites. So that's something I would take a look at. And again, as you said, you know, once you get your WGC handicapping out of the way, then you can kind of take a look at this Puerto Rico open. Yeah. I, I think you can, you can like swing for it. I, I, I do. I mean, I think like Zalatoris, by the way, is the guy with all the corn Ferry tour points and he's gone. He's in the WGC event. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a definitely a good point there. All right, so we finish up this edition of ATS Radio on the NASCAR side of things here, the Dixie Vodka 400 at Homestead Miami Speedway. Last year, the race at Homestead was not going to be the finale. It wound up getting run in June. It got moved around because of the COVID-19 shutdown and all of that. But this race goes from being the final race, the championship race, to now being held the last weekend in February. But it is the first one-and-a-half-mile race And this begins a stretch for the drivers of regular oval tracks. You've got Las Vegas, you've got Atlanta, you've got Phoenix in the mix. So with the fact that we've got Michael McDowell and Christopher Bell as guys occupying two of the 16 playoff spots right now, Brian, you got to think there's a heightened sense of urgency for the guys that, you know, typically dominate and run well in the, you know, one and one and a half mile ovals. I mean, part of you wants to say, it's a two-horse race, right, with Hamlin and Harvick based on what happened last year on the mile-and-a-half tracks. And the overlay is Harvick at 8-1. to one. I mean, I, I, that would be your starting point. Chase Elliott's on the board at 5-1. to one. 
Truex is being really aggressive, and you can look long and hard at him. Kyle Larson's driving good. I mean, there's a guy with a chip on his shoulder. Kozlowski's a lunatic, by the way. If you watched him uh, on the road course, Kozlowski was the car that should have won Daytona, the way that thing shook out. Uh, But I don't know how you go much further than expecting to see Hamlin and Harvick again, maybe pull away and, and see who else can step up there. I've played him the first couple of weeks with no results. Uh, the price is telling me he's live here a little bit is Tyler Reddick. I think Tyler Reddick's going to win a race or two this year. This kid just is pedal to the metal and fearless. And he was taken out at Daytona in the first big accident. And then the road course is the road course. So the first mile and a half track, it's not going to shock me to see Tyler Reddick run really well. And I'd, I'd be taking a look at Tyler Reddick in matchups. Tyler Reddick last year, third in stage one, second in stage two, and then fourth at the finish in this race. So Tyler Reddick ran really well in this race last year, certainly contributing to his price being down in that 20 to one range. The one guy that I'm looking at here an overlaid price, as you would say, Ryan Blaney at 16 to one at DraftKings is just way too big of a number. I know he didn't run particularly well in either Daytona race, but when you think back to last season, when you think back to after the shutdown where they wound up running at a lot of mile and a half tracks, Blaney had the best car or close to it most of those weeks. And he just ran into, you know, some occurrence, some happenstance, he'd blow a tire, something would go in, you know, his engine. You know, he'd get caught up in somebody speed, else's rack. Speed, speeding going on to pit lane. Yeah. Uh, pit crew makes a mistake. And, oh, by the way, don't forget the clash on the road course before the duels. Before he, he was ahead. He was winning He was winning the road course thing, and Elliott took him out on the final turn. I mean, this guy's got the worst luck of anybody. He, he's, he's, he's got a great car. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know. Maybe this is the Tony Finau theory. I don't know. Maybe I need Blaney to actually get to victory lane before I want to back him. But it's at, at 16-1 to 1 in a race like this where I know he's going to have the car. I I just I, I have to take a shot with something like that. But like you said, I mean, look, I'm not going to be the least bit surprised if this comes down to Hamlin and Harvick. I mean, they won 16 of the 36 races last year. And as I said, you know, I think there's only six mile-and-a-half racetracks in the regular season here this year, because they've added more road courses. They have a dirt race. They got all kinds of stuff going on. You know, if you're somebody who's got to win on an oval, which to me, I think is a guy like a Kyle Larson, like a Kevin Harvick, something like that. You better Ryan Blaney, you better do it soon. So, you know, those are kind of the guys I'm looking at here this week. Yeah. The one more you got to throw in again, we're saying these two guys, Harvick and Hamlin just make the most sense. But the one guy that it's funny how he flies under the radar because he's a nut bar and he, he's he, he's aggressive and he is a win early kind of guy. Get to secure his playoff spot. I mean that's a twelve to one with all things being equal on Logano. You know Logano is and he wins in the early stages of a season usually. Yeah, no, that's true, and and you know he's. Uh... I think he ran what second in the road course race last week. So, you know, he had a well, pretty he good ran, showing in that he one. Ran second in the road course race. He was leading the Daytona 500 on the last lap. <laughs> you know, he's had that, a good car that, so far. That, that yellow and red cars, believe me, it's always there. He's not hard to spot. And he's usually the one that's 
you know, either getting involved or taking someone out. I mean, he's part of the discussion. He's going to have an impact on the race. Let's put it that way. So, I mean, to me, this sort of sets up exactly what we said about the WGC, where, look, I mean, you, you can make a case for any short price in this race. So, you know, find one or two that you like, maybe kind of kind of take a piece of them. The one thing I am kind of thinking with regards to Harvick here is he's five to one this week. I don't know what his price will be next week in Vegas. I don't know what it'll be in Atlanta. I know he'll have a short price in Phoenix because, I mean, it's just his his track and he runs very well there. I've got to think Harvick wins one of the next four. So I will probably have a piece of Harvick this week, next week, and the following week if he doesn't win one of those three races because him and his team have to realize, look, we need to get one of these longer, you know, oval tracks because if we're trying to win a road course race or something like that down the line, probably not a great fit for us, you know, because really when I think about it, there's Charlotte, there's Michigan, which is a big two and a half mile track. And then the craziness that happens at Pocono, you know, otherwise there aren't really a lot of big tracks where I think Harvick is set up for success. He's got to get one of the next four, I think. Yeah. Well, Hey, listen, last year it was the Kevin Harvick show. And when you got to the final four, he wasn't even there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, covered a lot of ground here on today's show. Uh, We'll be doing the same thing on your show here in in a little bit of time. Yeah, man, look forward to it on Tuesday. uh, And Adam joins us uh, 2 to 4 Eastern on the Sports Grid Radio Network, Sirius Channel 204 Sportsbook Radio. Adam will be on in the uh, 2 o'clock hour today. We're there with you weekdays with the sportsbook directors and guys like Bruce Marshall, Andy Isco. Guys cover both sides of the counter for you. And locally, we do Vegas Hockey Hotline at KSHP.com. That is at 1 p.m. Pacific time. And we have great guests from around the hockey world that uh, jump on with us on that fine program. And if if you're really into the hockey, the job Adam does for you, we're doing a hockey betting podcast. Uh, You can get it on my Twitter at Brian Blessing. I do it with Cam Stewart. Uh, The hockeybettingpodcast.ca is the website with accompanying articles. So a lot of good stuff for you there, too. Yeah, definitely a lot going on. And uh, this afternoon, I'll get up Brian's two videos, the Puerto Rico Open and the WGC Workday Championship over on our ATS YouTube page. Hey, real I'm- quick, before we wrap it up, I just wanted to say this. One of the coolest things last night, Marcus Felino with Minnesota got in a fight with this kid. I'm trying to th- Kiznov is a young kid. Anyway, it's- Minnesota's playing San Jose. Felino's a badass. Well, young kid, who was the guy that, do you remember who was the guy? Was it Svechnikov that fought Ovechkin and Ovechkin knocked him out cold? You know, the remember that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So Folino feeds this kid two vicious rights. And he's, he's got this kid just ready to just, I mean, he could have pounded him into submission. After the first two punches and he's holding the kid by the scruff, with his right hand, he waves to the linesman, come here. Like, end this. I don't want to hurt the kid. It was pretty cool. He, he said, look, he goes, he goes, guys have cut me a break in the past. He goes, I I, I had him. He said, I, I didn't want to hurt him. I mean, there's a code in honor. You got to love hockey players. I mean, he could have beat this kid to a pulp, and he called it off, and he threw the kid a bone, and that that was classy, man. I, I just I, I thought Felino deserved. He's my hero of the day. All right. Well, there you go. Good, good note to end on here on today's edition of the show with Brian. And I Blessing. love fighting too. <laughs> I, I know you do. I know, you, know? you do. You're an old school guy. 
You're definitely an old school guy. Yeah. When are we doing this analytics thing? Next week. <laughs> we'll do it next week. We had two golf tournaments to get to. We'll do it next week. <laughs> you, you turtled. You pulled a Claude Lemieux. All right. That's fine. I turtled. So be it. All right. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. All right, pal. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again at Brian Blessing on Twitter, sportsbookradio.com, uh, KSHP.com for Vegas Hockey Outline, and then, of course, Sportsbook Radio on Sirius XM 204, uh, the Sports Grid Radio Network. Coming up on Wednesday, we'll chat some college hoops and some UFC with Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. Thursday, we'll talk more FCS college football with Brad Powers. Friday, I'll probably do another Freestyle Friday show just to finish up the week. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.